0: church this morning, we continue with our series, Keep Your Eyes on Israel. And today we will be spending time in Ezekiel chapter 38, if you'd like to make your way there in your Bibles. Last week we went through chapters 36 and 37, and we established four main themes from these chapters. Can you remember what it was? Number one, God denounces and condemns any nation that tries to take possession of the land of Israel. Number two, God defends the land of Israel for his own namesake. Number three, God declares himself to all the nations through the reestablishment of Israel. And number four, God will bring about the full restoration of the nation of Israel at the appointed time. It has already happened in part in that the nation has been physically restored, but not yet spiritually. The bones are there, but it's a body awaiting breath, awaiting the Ruach, the Spirit of God. Now, if you're a supersessionist who believes in replacement theory, you will disagree with that view because you believe that the Jewish people have been replaced by the church and that they have no real relevance from an eschatological point of view because you believe that the church is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But if you're a non-supersessionist, which is the view I hold to, you would believe that national ethnic Israel has not permanently forfeited a unique status as the chosen people of God, which means that it still has a unique role to play in God's prophetic plans. Let me ask you this as an example. What is the purpose of the tribulation? Now answer carefully because if you believe in the rapture and you are a pre-millennialist, when you read prophecies about the tribulation period, which is right throughout the Old and New Testaments, you will read believing that the church doesn't go through the tribulation, right? Which then means that the purpose of the tribulation is Israel for the Jews. But if you don't believe in the rapture and you're an amillennialist, When you read prophecy about these end time events, you might adopt a supersessionist view because you see the church going through the tribulation period, which then takes the focus off of Israel. Now, not every supersessionist completely discounts the nation of Israel, but can you see the two schools of thought here? And perhaps why there are so many differing views on whether or not we should stand with Israel or whether or not Israel actually has rights to the land that they're living in now. That's just something for you to consider when you're hearing all these differing views on the church's stance towards Israel over this time. You need to ask yourself the question, what is their view on prophecy? What is their hermeneutics when it comes to eschatology? Because church, I don't know if you know this, there are two camps that read the Bible very differently when it comes to end time events. One camp believes that you should interpret prophecy allegorically and symbolically that the Bible, that Bible prophecy has no literal relevance, and then the other camp believes that you should interpret prophecy literally, and based on where you are on that will determine your view on the significance or the insignificance of Israel. I know that sounds a little complicated, but that's why you see different pastors disagreeing on this very issue. For me, I just look at the fact that Jesus literally fulfilled every single one of the 300 plus prophecies at his first coming, so I don't see how that can be different for the 2,500 plus prophecies about his second coming. And as I've said before, I don't believe that these types of doctrinal differences should separate the body of Christ, but at least make the distinction in your own heart. Know where it's coming from, and then you can make informative decisions on where to align your heart. You see, church, it's important to make this distinction because when you look at the news and when you hear what's going on in Israel and the subsequent battle that has now ensued, you're either going to see it as just another war or you're going to see it as something bigger. You're either going to see it as just another tragic moment in the history of mankind, which it is, or you're going to realize that there is a very specific plan unfolding for the nation of Israel. Now, where we're going today, I'm going to say from the start, is very apocalyptic in nature, in that it speaks about the nations that will rise up against Israel at the end times in order to completely eradicate it. And this may or may not arouse some fear or vulnerability inside you, so let me say this from the get-go. Whenever we talk about the topics we are talking about today, there are many different reactions that people have. Some are excited, some are overly excited, some people are confused, intimidated, others are just scared and would rather skip these portions of scripture. But here's what I want you to know. The purpose of studying prophecy isn't to make you scared, it is to make you ready. It is to prepare you for what is coming. There are many benefits to studying prophetic scripture and let me just name a few of them. Number one, purity of lifestyle. What do I mean by that? Nothing purifies you like having or living with the awareness that the Lord can come back at any moment. When the Apostle John spoke about the coming of the Lord, he said, whoever has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. It's kind of like when I was a young boy and my mom would say to me, when I was misbehaving, she would say to me, wait until your dad gets home. Guess what happened? The behavior in that house would change immediately. I lived differently knowing the soon return of my father could be imminent, right? In fact, if I could get away with it, I would be sleeping by four o'clock in the afternoon before he got home. Who's done that before? <laughs> so that's one benefit. Number two is comfort in times of conflict. There are times in our world, and even in our own lives, when it seems like everything is falling apart, and there is conflict wherever we turn, right? We see the world getting more and more evil by the day. We hear wars and rumors of wars, but Jesus reminds us that when these things begin to happen, we need to look up and lift our heads because our redemption draws near. He also said, let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. So, purity of lifestyle, comforting times of conflict, and then finally, number three, inspiration for service. You know, when we study prophecy correctly, it motivates us and inspires us to serve the Lord passionately. Why? Because we live and long for the day when we will hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. We realize that our time here is fleeting, right? That there is an end date to everything in this life, right? So we want to get involved in making a difference and building kingdom now. Prophecy inspires us to be ready, to live purely, to take comfort in times of conflict and to serve the Lord passionately. Now, quick question, how many of you know what's going to happen in your life in the next year, month, right, week, or even day of your life? That would be none of us, right? Can the same be said of biblical prophecy? We might not know the exact date or hour when certain prophetic events will take place, but we do know for sure that they're going to happen. We know, for example, that the last days of history will be challenging days. Because Jesus said that the love of many will grow cold. And the Apostle Paul said that in the last days, many will depart from the faith. There are many other examples, but we know for sure that the last days will be challenging times. Right? Many prophetic scriptures about that. The second thing we know, because we looked at this last week, is that Israel will be regathered in their homeland. The prophets all said that, and it happened on May 14 of 1948. They're back in their land physically awaiting their spiritual restoration. But you know what's really amazing, church, and one of the reasons why we need to keep our eyes on Israel? Approximately 2,500 years ago, there was a Jewish prophet by the name of Ezekiel who foretold a specific nation's rise to power in the last days. It's a prophecy we're about to read in just a few moments where he foretold of a coalition and a conflict known as the War of Gog and Magog. Who's heard of that before? Ezekiel describes an eschatological conflict led by a leader of a region whose ancient name was Magog, which today, which today is known as? as Russia, the Russian Federation. This leader forms a military alliance with other nation, and guess who their target is? It is the nation and people of Israel. So let's read what it says here in Ezekiel chapter 38, and then we'll get into the detail. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the verses, but you'll get the the gist of what's going on. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Putta with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togomar from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Hordes is just a, a great amount of people. Many peoples are with you. Verse 10, thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme, which means you will be satanically influenced. And say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars and gates, to see spoil and to carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth. Verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, church, the four main points that I want to draw out of this chapter for us to consider today is who, where, why, and when. If you're taking notes, who will attack the nation of Israel? Why will they attack them? Where specifically will they do it? And then finally, the last question we're going to look at, when will they do it? Because there's a lot of questions going on at the moment about what's happening right now, and is this the war of Ezekiel chapter 38? So let's ask and answer those questions together. So let's start with who. As I said a moment ago, what Ezekiel describes here is an eschatological conflict led by a leader of a region whose ancient name was Magog. This leader forms a military alliance with other nations, and as I said, who's their target? Who do they want to destroy? It is the nation and people of Israel. But get get this church. The broader target, of course, is the God of Israel. Because all of these nations will be satanically inspired by Satan himself. Now, you may or may not know this, or you probably do know this, but who is the kingpin in this battle? It is none other than Russia. And I don't say that because I'm picking on Russia because, you know, it is just a popular thing these days to blame Russia for everything. I say that because the Bible actually names Russia as the principal player in this military campaign that's going to come against the nation of Israel. So let's look a little closer at who is involved here. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog. Underline that word in your Bible, and if you have your inductive Bible study colours with you, highlight that word as a person, whatever color you normally use. The Gog is a title like czar or prince. And we know that it's a person because at the end of verse 2, God says, Prophesy against him. So Gog is the prince of, over a region that is called Magog. Also, there in your Bibles in verse 2. Underline that word Magog and highlight it as a place. Now, according to ancient historians and Bible scholars, there is great unanimity that the territory of Magog is actually Russia. There's not much debate about that. Furthermore, Meshech and Tubal that are mentioned there are thought by most biblical scholars to be Moscow and Tobolsk, which are both prominent cities in Russia. Right, So it's pointing to Russia. And joining Russia in this confederation are five other nations. And the first on that list in verse 5 is the second most significant player in this military campaign, and Israel's number one enemy, Iran. Now Iran is listed here by its ancient name Persia in verse 5, because up until 1935, Iran was always known as Persia. And what's interesting is that until the Islamic Revolution of 1979, Iran was actually an ally of the United States and Israel. Prior to 1979, the Shah of Israel was selling oil to Israel. But the Islamic Revolution changed all that, and now as a result, they are not allies, they are hostile enemies. They are headed by an aggressively anti-Semitic, anti-American, and anti-Christian set of leaders right? They hate Christians as well. You may or may not know this, but Iran is the number one funder of terrorism in the world, and their main goal is to wipe out the very existence of the Jewish nation and all of Western society and what Western society stands for. They do not recognize Israel as a nation, and they fund terrorist organizations like Hamas in Gaza, which committed the most recent atrocities, and Hezbollah in Lebanon, which is now also getting involved to some degree in this war. And here's what's make, what makes this intriguing. Today, there is forming an alliance between Magog and Persia, between Russia and Iran. Russia and Iran are forming an alliance like we have never seen before in history. It started a few years back, and it's growing stronger. Did you know, for instance, that Russia... Um, that it was Russia that helped Iran build its nuclear facility. Did you know that today there are around 1,000 Russian nuclear scientists living and working in Iran? And did you know that Iran has been supplying weapons to Russia in its attack against Ukraine? Right? Listen, this has never happened before in history. Even 20 years ago, you would look at this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 38 and say, Surely this isn't a literal prophecy. Maybe it is something symbolic. But, church, this alliance is literally getting stronger by the day we're seeing it being forged. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to have time to get into detail of all the other countries who formed this alliance with Russia, so I'm just going to list them for you really quick. We have one or two slides for you. So, you've got Magog, which is Russia, you've got Persia, which is Iran, and then you have Kush which is the area south of Egypt, partly Ethiopia, but principally the Islamic country of Sudan. Next on the list is Put, which today is known as Libya. And it is listed here, but may also include modern-day Algeria and Tunisia as well, which means that we are dealing here with the Islamic states of the Upper Nile region. You have Goma, that compromises of the nations of Poland and the Czech Republic, and East Germany. And then finally, you have Beth Togomar, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Do you know how many of these nations that I've just mentioned here are actually in alliance militarily and economically today? Have a look at this next slide. All of these nations, church, except Goma, have notably or notable military and economical alliances with the major players, Russia and Iran. This is no coincidence, but what I find fascinating is that when Ezekiel is writing this prophecy roughly 2,500 years ago, there were no such alliances happening. When he wrote this, there was no connection between these peoples, especially not militarily. Again, even 20, 30 years ago, you would look at this prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 38 and say, surely this couldn't happen. This must be symbolic or allegoric in some way, but these alliances are literally getting stronger and stronger by the day, all falling into line when we look at biblical prophecy. So that's who will attack the nation of Israel, and let's look now at why they will attack. You know, when you look at the size of these nations, the amount of land they all have, you might wonder why would they want to attack one of the smallest countries On planet earth let's see why verse 12 again says they come to see spoil and carry off plunder to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth the reason why this alliance will attack Israel at some point in the future is because of three things and I'm gonna list this very quickly Number one, because they want to capture the wealth that is in Israel. As I mentioned last week, Israel are the leaders in many different industries around the world. Their economy is ranked as the world's third most innovative economy ahead of Japan and even the United States. It's a nation of only 9.3 million people, but as an example, there are 500 new startup companies each year. That's more than any other country except the United States. And the United States has a couple of hundred million people. They have turned the barren wasteland that the land once was into one of the most prolific and prosperous nations on the planet. That's the first thing. Number two, the reason why this alliance will attack Israel is because they completely want to eradicate the nation of Israel. They have this anti-Semitic spirit that just wants to completely wipe them out. As we've already discussed, most of these nations that will form this alliance with Russia already have a strong hatred towards Israel. We're seeing it happen in our day and age, but church, when we get closer and closer to the last days, it will get to a level where there will be no more restraint for them to act, some believe, because the restrainer will be taken away, and this is all part of God's plan. And then number three, the third reason why this alliance will attack Israel at some point In the future, is because once you get rid of Israel, you have complete control over the Middle East. This is the political reason. If you haven't noticed, Israel sits on a land mass that connects three continents. And every ancient king knew that if you can control that land mass, you can control the flow of goods into these three continents. Africa, Asia, and Europe. And these nations around Israel know that. And would love to take control of that flow of goods because, you know, on top of the hatred for Israel, there is also this driving force of greed and power. Right? So we looked at who will attack, why they will attack, and let's look now at where they will attack. Where do you think it's going to be? It says in verse 8, after many days you will be mustered. In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples, and now dwell securely all of them. So church, get this, these massive armies converging together come down, it says, on the mountains of Israel. But I want you to have a look at what it says here in verse 12 again. It says they come to see spoil and carry off plunder to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell, listen to that, at the center of the earth. What does that mean? Now, church, according to your geographical knowledge, and depending on how long ago you were at school, what is the center point of the earth if you had to look at a map? I was in school like 33, 31 years ago. That's a long time ago, right? Cassidy goes like this. (laughs) That's a long time ago. (laughs) Have a look at this next image. This is what's known. Have you got that for us? You see those two lines converging there, church? This is what's known as the point where zero degrees longitudinal and latitudinal meet, and is considered to be the center of the earth geographically, but not according to God. Why do I say that? Because in, in God's geography class, he puts Israel at the center of the world. So much so that in the Bible, wherever you get to geographical areas, north, south, east, and west, they are all relative to Israel, and Jerusalem in particular. North is always north of Israel, south is always south of Israel, east and west, etc., etc., Israel is the geographic center of the world, and this is important, church, because you need to know that the final battle of this world is not going to happen somewhere in the United States. The final battle of this world is not going to happen on top of Spionkorp Hill in, in South Africa, <laughs> right? It's going to happen at God's geographical center of the world, Israel, and Jerusalem in particular. And as Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, where? In Jerusalem. When he returns a second time, he touches down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, the center of the world, and with him come the armies of heaven. Praise God. So that's who, why, and where. But the last question I want to leave you with is when. Remember, Ezekiel is writing this 2,500 years ago. And he says here again in verse 8, after... Many days you will be mustered. Many days. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war. And in verse 16 he says, You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. So church, when is this battle going to happen? Answer? In the latter days. In the latter years. Now, I know what you're thinking. That doesn't really help me. You're thinking, listen, but when exactly in the latter days does it happen? And does this prophecy in Ezekiel about the war of Gog and Magog somehow tie up to what's happening in Israel right now? There's a lot of discussion right now about whether or not this is the end of the world and and how this all fits into biblical prophecy. And listen, these types of questions aren't bad questions. Because anytime you see activity in Israel, especially when there's war, you should wake up. You should take notice. And you should look at your Bibles to try and understand what is going on. So let's answer the question then. What is going on and is this war in Israel a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38? Let's answer it in this way. In order for this battle to happen, there there are some prerequisites that first have to be in place, right? And let's list them. Prerequisite number one, there has to be a military alliance between Magog and the other nations mentioned, mentioned in Ezekiel 38. I think we've identified that these alliances are getting stronger by the day, so you can tick that box. Prerequisite number two, there has to be an Israel. That's quite obvious, but Israel has to exist for this prophecy to take place. I mean, you don't have a coalition that you gather against a nation that doesn't exist or a people that don't exist, right? So this prophecy could not have taken place before 1948. So you can tick that box. Prerequisite number three, Israel not only has to be in the land, they have to be prospering in the land. Because this coalition comes down to take the riches and the wealth of that country. And as we've already identified, by the hand of God, Israel has built itself up to become one of the most prosperous nations in the world. So you can tick that box. Prerequisite number four, Israel has to be at peace in the land. Right? Verse 8 and verse 11 talk about a peaceful people dwelling safely with unwalled villages. And church, even though the nation of Israel has had some sort of peace over the last decade or two, as it stands now, Israel is not at peace. They are under attack, and they have launched a full-scale war against Hamas, and perhaps even Hezbollah is next. And according to certain sources, Iran is sending out warnings to Israel, which could escalate the war even further. So I think it is safe to say that there isn't peace in Israel right now, which means you can put an X in that box. Prerequisite numbers four and five, Israel has to be attacked from the north and they have to stand alone in the battle without any support. So church, firstly, the battle in Israel right right now is coming from the south. It's not coming from the north. That's an important piece of the puzzle. And then secondly, Ezekiel chapter 38 says that no one comes to Israel's defense in the war. As of right now, most of Europe and the United States are standing with Israel and are even willing to enter into this battle if things escalate further. Which means that you can put an X in both of those boxes. So to answer the question, are we now experiencing the Ezekiel 38 war? Are we in or are we going into this this final battle of the earth? Well, church, if you look at these prerequisites, the answer is a yes and no, but currently no. However, the reason why we need to keep our eyes on Israel is because if you start to see these things aligning, if all these boxes have been ticked, then you need to realize that something big is about to happen. And listen, church, if we get to that scenario, does that mean that we should panic? Does that mean that we should become fearful? No, because you know what happens between Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39? The rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, amen? And all of that to say, Christian, be ready. Be ready. Church, the end is not yet. But make no mistake, we are starting to see Bible prophecy unfold before our eyes. You know, I'm sure you've heard it it said before, I've heard it said before, where people say, listen, I wish I lived in Bible times. Guess what? You are living in Bible times. And listen, whether Jesus tarries for another 60 minutes or another 60 years, we need to live as if he were to come right now. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, I like this version. He says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption draws near. Yeah. The question we should all be asking ourselves is how should we be living in view of his imminent return? I've given you a lot this morning, so let's, let's close with, with some prayer. Maybe the worship team can come up and we can finish with one final song. Let's pray together. Father God, as we conclude our time together, we thank you for the promises and divine plans found in your word. We thank you for the assurance that studying prophecy is not meant to instill fear, but to prepare us for what is to come. It is a call to live lives of purity, to find comfort in times of conflict, and to be inspired to passionately serve you in service of your kingdom. As we see the signs of the times and and the witness the unfolding of biblical prophecies, help us to remain steadfast in our faith, knowing that your plan is perfect and that your promises in Jesus are yes and amen. Lord, we pray that for the situation, we pray today for the situation in Israel. We pray for your will to be done. We pray for the innocent civilians on both sides. And that through these uncertain and tragic times, many would come to the saving knowledge of who you are. May your righteousness and holiness be known to all through the plans that you have for the nation of Israel. In the meantime, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. And to live each day in readiness for your return. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Can we thank the Lord for his word this morning, church?